Hi, I'm Max Gibson, and you're listening to Episode 6 of Fairy Visions, my podcast series about the radical fairies of Vermont. The radical fairies are a global movement of queer spiritualists. About six months ago, I started talking to the fairies from Fairy Camp Destiny, the Vermont Fairy Sanctuary. In the last few episodes, I talked about the history of the radical fairy movement, met some fairies at a big fairy house, and learned a little more about how fairies get their names. In this episode, I meet with Endora and Lanier, a married fairy couple, at the house they built from the ground up in the mountains of Vermont. So here's episode six, Camp. Endora and Lanier first started to go to fairy gatherings in the late 80s. They moved back to America, to New York, from Israel, and AIDS had taken over. There's a whole generation of people that's gone. That's Endora. Here's Lanier. We used to have season tickets to the opera, and, and like, after AIDS, it was just... It was decimated. But I think that's also part of the catalyst for the (laughs) success of the fairies, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we were kind of the only spiritual game in town at that point. They started hearing about radical fairy gatherings. And he had a friend who said, oh, you should come to a gathering sometime. You should come to a gathering sometime. And we were like, oh, I don't want to be hit on by people I don't know. You know, then he started saying, oh, it's cool. Everything's consensus. And people just walk around in whatever they want to wear or nothing at all. And They eventually went to a gathering. The night we went to our first ritual, it was a full moon ritual, and people were naked and dancing around the fire, and it was cool. And we thought, oh, this is kind of cool, and they're drumming. Then, all of a sudden... We hear from, like, people in the circle, like, you're too fat to be naked. And these kind of things, we're like, what is going on? Homo normals. Like, yeah, homo normals. And we turn around, and there is a crowd of, like, 25 to 30... Beer-drinking, plaid-wearing, baseball cap, gay country folk from rural Pennsylvania <laughs> that come every, whatever, Friday night for the beer bust, right? Yeah. But it was nerve-wracking because it went on for a while, and we finally started grabbing them and pulling them into the circle, mm-hmm. and then we made the circle. And Doran Lanier told me this is something the fairies are pretty good at, pulling people in. Something happened that night. Well, just somebody tried to break in on us having sex in our tent. And said, oh, can we come in? And we're like, uh, no. And they're like, oh, no, we'll just come in. So we, kind of, <laughs> they came in for a while. We're like, no. And then they left and they were all mad. So the next morning at Circle, they were like, I just got rejected. So yeah, our first night at a gathering didn't go so well. And lots of people were like, that's just ridiculous. But then I, we liked it. And we went back like within a month to another gathering. They've continued to go to radical fairy gatherings for over 25 years now, and nothing like that incident in the tent has happened again. I met Indora and Lanier at their homemade house in Vermont. It's at the top of a hill, and the day I went, it had just snowed, so I had to park at the bottom, and Lanier picked me up in his Subaru to drive me up their snow-covered driveway. They have an incredible view. You can see a mountain ridge across the valley, and their house is wooden and cozy. They built it themselves. It was just a basement when they bought it, and they had to basically camp out their first year here. Indora is a rabbi, and he still helps out with services, so I expected him to be a good entry point into the spirituality of the fairies, which was something I'd been pretty confused by after talking to Daisy and Gabriel, and something I was just getting a handle on after talking to Mixie. I'd gotten a grasp of the historical revisionism part, 
the tracing of queer spiritual gifts and queer purpose across the ancient and modern world. And I was into that. I got that. But I still didn't have a sense of how fairy spirituality played out in practice, like at a gathering. The general approach Endora and Lanier have taken to life was one of the big things that started to push me up this hill of understanding. It's not hard to pick up on the fact that Endora and Lanier have been through a lot together. They met in high school, and this wasn't just any high school. It was in a small town in Georgia that Lanier described to me as the last bastion of the Dixiecrats, which are conservative Southern Democrats. Not only was this a tough place to be gay, but it was really hard for Endora to be Jewish there. They told me their public high school had Bible study every morning. This was illegal back then too, but they still had it. Endora's mom had to come in every day to take him and his brother out of class as the rest of the school read Bible passages. Endora and Lanier had sex during high school, but nobody knew about it. Endora was somewhat out of the closet, and Lanier wasn't. They went to separate colleges, graduated, and moved in together into an apartment in Atlanta. They both worked at a gay restaurant that came with free membership to all the gay clubs. They got sick of the South and moved to Israel, and a few years later they came back to America, Endora to go to rabbinical school and Lanier to work at an architecture firm. AIDS happened. They joined ACT UP, support groups, started going to fairy gatherings. Eventually they moved up to Vermont and built this house. Like Daisy, they'd like to be living at Destiny full-time, but the planning and fundraising for permanent residency has been a continual nightmare, so here they are. Endora and Lanier's lives were really foreign to me. Not just because of the whole fairy thing, which I was just beginning to wrap my head around at the time, but because of where they grew up, what religions they've practiced, the generation they're from. Unlike them, I've lived a majority of my life in the 21st century. I grew up in the North in Connecticut in a very liberal town. And when I was old enough to understand what AIDS was, I had no memory of my uncle who had died from AIDS a few years after I was born. I could tell pretty soon into my conversation with Endora and Lanier, being gay for them means something completely different from what it means for me. Something about their experience as gay men has kept them harnessed in the radical fairy circle. While I was trying to figure out why, I kept coming back to this one word, and it was a word they both used a lot, camp. I know it's probably surprising that I didn't really have a grasp what camp means, but I didn't. I asked Endora to define it for me. Guys, what do you mean exactly by that? Because I'm, I'm familiar with the term, but I'm not sure exactly how you're using it. Camp is when you make fun of something and show the silliness of it while also showing profound empathy and care for it mm. at the same time. Okay. It's looking at something askance, but with affection. It's important to note that this definition of camp doesn't really conform to the canonical one, Susan Sontag's, which Endora actually directed me to. But this idea of showing the silliness of something while simultaneously showing care for it, that makes sense for the fairies and for Endora and Lanier. It kind of encapsulates their attitude toward life and why the fairies have been good for them, so I'm going to stick with it for now. And it gave me the lens I needed to start making sense of fairy spirituality. So how does that play out at like a fairy gathering? Like where, where do you see camp? I, I think one of the places is to think of ritual, which would be like really heavy and everything. And it is sometimes. But for example, the idol they offer at their summer gathering. At the llamas gathering every mm -hmm. year, 
we named Cornholio. This Cornholio is an idol literally made out of corn, inspired by a joke from Beavis and Butthead, and also a pun on cornholing, the slang term for anal sex. He decided, it's, we're going to call him Cornholio. And like 20 years later, we're still running around worshiping Cornholio. <laughs> what makes it camp is that people really are celebrating llamas and the end of summer and making mm-hmm. an offering. And it's kind of taken seriously. Yeah. But lest you take yourself too seriously, it's Cornholio. Camp for Endora and Lanier and for the fairies overall isn't just an attitude toward ritual. It's a method for self-expression, for political action. I, I offend fairies, right? Like, I, <laughs> I have that kind of sense of humor that I really like to go there. Mm-hmm. Take this for example. At the 1993 March on Washington for lesbian, gay, and bi-equal rights and liberation, Endora was sick of the red AIDS awareness ribbons that had gotten so popular. You've probably seen these types of ribbons. There's a pink version for breast cancer awareness, a yellow one for the military, The red AIDS ribbons were everywhere at the 1993 march, and Endora did not like them. He thought they trivialized the disease and trivialized the real work being done for the cause. So he dressed up as a giant red AIDS ribbon. The march in Washington were hundreds of little people going, here, have your AIDS, here, have your AIDS. I was like, I'm going to punch you in the face, right? (laughs) So I made a dress, took an AIDS ribbon and made a giant collar out of it that stood up like three feet tall. And it came back this way, and it went out like four feet on either side. It's a giant marching AIDS ribbon. And I just went through the whole parade going up to people with AIDS ribbons. And going, I care this much about AIDS. They mostly wouldn't get it, but when they got it, they'd get really mad. Yeah. I cracked myself up for an entire day. <laughs> There's this one particularly campy event at Destiny that stood out for Endora and Lanier. They called it Endora's Unholy Night. It was a fundraiser for Destiny, and they'd scripted a Star Trek Christmas episode where Jesus had been kidnapped by pig people, Lanier had built a manger. A literal manger. And we put our little pot-bellied pig in it, and we had all these people dressed as saints around singing, Away in a manger. And it's like, stop it, the little pig. pig is like going, <laughs> <laughs> And then it comes in, Stardate, you know, and, it's, and I was Janeway, and I would be like, you know, the pig people had stolen the baby Jesus. And it ended up with Chris Mose in a bikini tied a to a cross, being whipped while he sang, I don't know how to love him. That's a song from the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't know how to love him. What to do, how to move him. I... <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> hysterical. Oh my God. Like, That's... hysterical. And when I think back to all the gatherings that I've been to throughout my life, laughing raucously mm-hmm. is a big part of it. And laughing together with a bunch of people like that, I would say, is probably among the peak spiritual religious experiences any person ever has. Yeah. And so many religions don't really make room for it. This idea of laughter as spiritual made something click for me. So, remember the performance artist I played in the first episode? He was performing a radical fairy ritual in an art gallery. It was over the top and people were laughing, and it just confused me a lot when I first saw it. After Andorra and Lanier talked to me about camp and laughter, I started to get it. 
The people laughing at this guy's performance become part of the ritual by laughing at him. The laughter creates an emotional connection between everyone there, and the shared hilarity between them all creates a deep empathy. That I can recognize as a spiritual experience. But not all fairy rituals are filled with laughter. There have been some great, like, grief rituals. But sometimes that's not what's planned. It's just what happens, right? Mm -hmm. So we were carrying Cornholio around and doing campy mourning, right? Like, oh, like you say. And it just turned into real, right? Like, it just kind of started to shift around. And Mm -hmm. suddenly, like, lots of people are sobbing and... We had to put it down. <laughs> it was like a whole moment. Yeah. These were more similar to religions I'm personally familiar with, a more serious approach to the divine. But they still had a fairiness to them, and they fit in pretty well with the playful seriousness of the gay spiritual revisionist histories I'd gotten caught up in. All of these fairy rituals Endora and Lanier told me about, they're all moments of expanded consciousness like you might hope to get at church or in yoga class, just reached in any way that seems right at the time. All the theory I'd amassed about the fairy experience, transcendence, gay mysticism, fairy vision, finally clicked with the practice, the fairy gathering itself. Endora attributed some of this power and predictability of the spiritual experience invoked during fairy rituals to the pagan influences present at Destiny. Pagans have... I don't want to say figured out that's too strong because they may be gone in another 10 years, right? So, but in terms of creating rituals that people leave feeling they had an experience that was mm-hmm. spiritual and not their usual day-to-day life, something liminal and other, mm-hmm. I think they do a better job than most synagogues do. Remember, Endora's a rabbi, so I really started to pay attention when he said that pagans do a better job than most synagogues with this type of thing. The way Endora and Lanier were talking about the fairies, I just had to ask them, are the radical fairies a religion? There is a religious component, I would say. but I absolutely think it's a religion. I don't think most fairies would agree with that. I'm not sure Daisy would agree with this religion claim. He told me some fairies just go to gatherings for fun. But then, fun and laughter can be religious experiences for some fairies, so it all gets a little blurry. Regardless of their status as a religion or not, Endora and Lanier seem confident in the longevity of the fairy community. According to them, people keep joining and the fairy community continues to grow. The increasing number of people attending gatherings is actually a concern, not just for Endora and Lanier and Destiny, but for fairies globally. They need to figure out how to deal with so many people. Like a short mountain in Tennessee. That's the biggest fairy sanctuary, the one that had the New York Times article written about it. Like when we first started going to gatherings there, they'd be 100 people at May Day, maybe 150 or 200. And that was like, oh my God, what are we doing with 200 people? And the last time I went was like 16 years ago, there were 500 people. They had three maypoles. There weren't enough streamers with people doubling up. And we have, um, at Destiny, we used to have like 25 people come. And now it's like, you know, we can easily get 100. This growth hasn't been constant, though. In the past 10 years, people have started to join up. But in the decade before that, there weren't many people coming to the ferries. <laughs> what it felt like is there was a generation that just was not interested in this, where it was seen as a dinosaur. Endora and Lanier said that the generation responsible for this gap 
was post-gay or not as interested in gay identity. So the particularism of fairies around queerness and gayness was not a turn-on. But times have changed, and according to Endora and Lanier, young queer people have started to regain interest in queer identity, or at least they've started seeking out the fairies again. And I'm part of this new generation that's showing a resurgence of interest in gay life. This project, for example, on the radical fairies has to be an expression of that. Lanier talked about how the fairies can help people transform. One of the young newcomers, for example. Like that yeshiva boy that came up. Practically, he still had his kippah on, his white shirt, and black pants. And he looked terrified when he arrived. By the end of that gathering, he was wearing a pink boa, hot pants that were leopard print, and he had a new boyfriend. (laughs) And he's been back a lot. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I do find the fairies very liberating. They were liberating for me. I think they're liberating for anybody that sticks around. Toward the end of our conversation, Indora and Lanier started to ask me about myself, about how I express my own gayness. I felt a little on the spot. They asked if I was active in queer groups on campus, and I wasn't really. Then they started asking about drag. No, Max, have you had your drag debut yet? I haven't, no, I've never done it. Oh, it's about time. You're statuesque, you can wear anything. You can wear anything. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Drag's fun, and I don't know why people, and you know, the, I think what people don't get is that letting your hair down and just being silly and having fun and not worrying about all this stuff is really liberating. Something about all this talk made me feel like I had come up short, or like I wasn't fully capitalizing on my destiny as a gay person. Endora and Lanier's history of activism and queer radicalism made me feel like a square, and that's not what I wanted to be. I started to think, part of what I'm doing with talking to the fairies is trying to connect or reconnect with a gay identity I never fully developed. Maybe I am being called by the fairies so I can explore this stuff. Endora and Lanier's story brought this into the light for me. And they also brought into focus the fairy mentality. This idea of camp, looking at something askance but with affection, this helped me understand the so-called ridiculous things that had baffled me so much early on. They can be ridiculous and funny, and that doesn't just not detract from their spiritual power, it actually adds to it. And after talking to Endora and Lanier, and hearing about living through the AIDS epidemic, protesting, persevering through setbacks to develop the Destiny Fairies, I started to feel solidarity with the fairies. They inspired me, and they made me feel empowered to be more queer in my everyday life. It was a nice feeling, and not one I'd necessarily felt before. Next time on Fairy Visions, I go up to the land and I see Fairy Camp Destiny for the first time. To stay up to date with this series, subscribe to the Fairy Visions podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, or follow me on SoundCloud. You can also stay updated by going to fairyvisions.wordpress.com. That's F-A-E-R-I-E visions at wordpress.com. Thank you, Endora and Lanier, for letting me into your home and for talking with me. The songs you heard in this episode are Harry Fairy Hataruna by Monroeville Music Center, Rite of Passage by Kevin McLeod, 
Holy Roller Instrumental by Yacht, The Life and Death of a Certain K. Zabriskie Patriarch by Chris Zabriskie, and I Don't Know How to Love Him from the 1973 film Jesus Christ Superstar, sung by Yvonne Elliman. Fairy Visions is produced by me, Max Gibson, and I'll talk to you next time. Until then, try to see if you can make fun of something and show the silliness of it while also showing profound empathy and care for it at the same time. (laughs) Oh my god.